Amen. Well, we are an altar of broken stones, but you delight in the sacrifice. That is so true and so on point with where we're going in the scriptures here this morning. And so if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and grab that? Uh, We're going to be in Luke chapter 7. We're going to continue our series through the Gospel of Luke there's here this morning. And so uh, if you're new here or if this is your first time, we just want to say, first off, uh, welcome, man. We are glad that you are here. We're glad that you're tuning in to see uh, what we're doing here this morning. Uh, and, and number two, yeah, that's what we're doing. We're working our way through the Gospel of Luke, and we've been in it all year, uh, and we're going to be through, going through it for the rest of the year and probably well into next year as well. So just a quick recap of the Gospel of Luke. If we were to, 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 to zoom out and kind of look at Luke from a 30,000-foot flyover, right? Like we've been working through it verse by verse, and we've kind of been in the trenches. But if we were to zoom out and just take a, take a broad view of it, uh, we would realize that, that, that Luke wants his readers to know three things, right? He wants them to know that Jesus is God, he wants them to know that Jesus is God. He wants them to know that, that Jesus is, he's building his kingdom. He's building his kingdom. And finally, he wants his readers to know that that kingdom is available to everyone, right? That kingdom is available to everyone, right? Like Luke's gospel is a gospel for the rest of us, right? It's a gospel for tax collectors and sinners and people who are broken, right? Every, uh, every word on every page of Luke's gospel is kind of jumping out saying, hey, Jesus is for you. And it's in this context that we find ourselves once again looking at an account where Jesus is putting his grace and his mercy on display for the world to see, He's showing once again that he is God and no one is beyond redemption. And so my hope and my prayer for you here this morning is that you would recognize the amazing grace of God, that you would know and believe in your heart that you cannot out-sin, out-run, or out-fall the grace of God, right? You cannot out-sin, out-run, or out-fall the grace of God, right? Like, Like if you go to the depths of the sea, he's there, right? If you go to the top of the mountain, he's there. You cannot escape the grace of God. And so if you walk out of here today and you take anything, take that. If the waitress at the restaurant asks you, what did you learn in church today? That's what you tell her, right? Like I cannot out-sin the grace of God. I think some of us need to be reminded of that here today that we're not too far gone, that we haven't fallen from grace, that God is for us and he's not against us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that Jesus became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. Right, like that's huge, right? Like like Jesus takes our dirty clothes, right? Like our our sin-stained, broken, uh, nasty garments and he puts them on and he climbs up on that cross so that you and I could just be wrapped in the pearly whites of Jesus and go into the kingdom of God with a new identity, right? God is for you and he's not against you. And so it's with that understanding of grace in mind that we dive into our scripture here this morning, Luke chapter seven. If I could get my Bible open, we would start in verse 36. All right, there we go. So one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, 
And when he went into the Pharisee's house, he took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee saw who had invited when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed five hundred denarii and the other fifty. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for who he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you've judged rightly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who are at the table with him begin to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your mercy. We're thankful for your word here this morning. And we just pray uh, that it would just sound forth and, and, and pierce our hearts and, and change us for your glory and for your honor. I pray that you give me clear thoughts, articulate words, that you be blessed by this. It's all for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I love that we have this, this written account of this, this sinful woman who enters the presence of her holy God and has this spiritual encounter where, where, where she experiences probably for the first time the grace of God. She knows she's sinful. She's unworthy of Jesus. That much is clear from her tears and her posture before Jesus. She knows she's in need of a savior. And when she comes face to face with Jesus, the fullness of God himself, she experiences kindness and mercy and love and grace and forgiveness and salvation. She experiences this undeserved favor poured out on her. She experiences firsthand the grace of God. And in that grace experience, this woman does three things that I want us to take a look at here this morning. And the first is this. She teaches us that in grace, we can come to Jesus. In grace, we can come to Jesus. Look back at verse 37. When she hears that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brings this alabaster flask of ointment, stands behind him, weeping, wets his feet uh, with her tears and wipes him with the hair of her head and anoints him with the, the ointment. She teaches us what it looks like to come to Jesus in grace. She teaches us that we can come to him boldly. We can come to him boldly. I love her boldness here. Once she learns where Jesus is, she just goes. 
right? She's not worried about what the Pharisee's gonna think. She's not worried about what the people in the house are gonna think. She isn't worried about what her neighbors think or uh, you know, her coworkers, none of that. She just boldly comes to Jesus. See, I don't think she knew what to expect when she met Jesus face to face. Would he be kind and forgiving? Would he be merciful to her, a sinner? Would he kick her out of the house? Would he condemn her? I don't think she knew the answer to any of those questions. Yet she boldly came because she trusted and believed in what she had heard to be true about Jesus, right? That he was a miracle worker, that he was a healer, that he was willing to eat with tax collectors and sinners. That he was just, but he was also merciful. She would have had to choose whether or not to believe what she had heard, and more than that, she would have had to come to him boldly in faith, believing that there was still hope for redemption in spite of all her mistakes. And is that not true for all of us here in this room? None of us have met God face to face. None of us really know what we're going to expect when we cross that, cross that threshold and, and walk into the presence of God. All we have is what this book tells us is true about our God, right? That he is kind and forgiving and, and, and that he's going to shed his grace on us. We have to believe it. And so we come boldly to Jesus. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Some of your Bibles say, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. So she teaches us that in grace we can come to Jesus boldly, but she also teaches us that we can come to Jesus in humility. We come to Jesus in humility. She doesn't require anything from Jesus. She doesn't try to justify her sin. She doesn't even ask for forgiveness. She, all she wants is to just humbly sit in the presence of her God. Micah 6.8 says, what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. What an amazing picture she gives us of what it looks like to, to walk humbly with our God. So she teaches us we can come to Jesus boldly, we can come to Jesus in humility, and we can come to Jesus with everything. We should come to Jesus with everything. This woman brings this alabaster flask of oil and pours it on the feet of Jesus. This is significant because this flask represented everything she owned that was actually worth something. This oil would have been used as a gift for her future husband. Her cultural worth was contained in that flask and she just breaks it and pours it out at the feet of her God. came to Jesus willing to give everything. She reminds us that Jesus is worth everything. He's worth everything. There's nothing more valuable than him because there's nothing on this earth that can redeem your soul and offer you eternal life. So we come to Jesus. We come to him boldly. We come to him in humility and we come to him believing that he's worth everything. Not only can we come to Jesus, but she also shows us that in grace, we can love Jesus authentically. 
In grace, we can love Jesus authentically. Jesus tells this parable uh, about grace and forgiveness that leads to authentic love. Look back at verse 41. Jesus says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answers, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus says, you have judged rightly. Jesus gives us this parable about grace and forgiveness leading to authentic love. And I think the first thing we need to learn from this parable is that authentic love for Jesus is cultivated when we understand our own sinfulness. Authentic love for Jesus is cultivated when we understand our own sinfulness. The guy with the huge debt recognizes he's in a bad way, right? Like I cannot pay that thing back. It's the same for us, is it not? We got this massive debt of sin that we cannot repay. The reality is that there's no greater sins or smaller sins, right? Like he gives this parable and he's like, there's this guy with this big debt and this guy with this little debt. The reality is there's no greater sins or smaller sins. Like one sin doesn't outweigh some other sin. James tells us that if you break one law, you've broken all of them. Right, so you tell a white, white lies, might, might as well just murder somebody. <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> there's no greater sins, there's no smaller sins, but our perception of our sin, our perception of our sin is what drives our love for Jesus. You can write that down. Your perception of your sin drives your love for Jesus. If we don't think that we're all that bad, then the reality is that we're really not gonna think that we need grace and we're really not gonna think that we need Jesus. So how do you view and perceive your sin? Do you recognize that your sin has separated you from a holy God? This woman recognized her sinfulness. She recognized her need for a savior and that led her to an authentic love for Jesus. So we cultivate an authentic love for Jesus when we understand our sin, but I think there's a second half to this. We cultivate an authentic love for Jesus when we understand his forgiveness. We cultivate an authentic love for Jesus when we understand his forgiveness, right? These are two parts to the whole. It's against the black backdrop of sin that we can actually see the diamond that is God's grace, right? When I bought my wife's engagement ring, I went to the store. I wanted to see the diamond. What do they do? They lay out a black cloth and they put the diamond right in the center of it so that you can see it. It's against that black backdrop of our sinfulness that we can see the the, the magnitude of God's forgiveness for us. Yes, our sin is great, but Jesus' forgiveness is greater, amen? Amen. There's no sin that he can't forgive if we would just come to him boldly and love him authentically. And listen, this, this is all sin, this is all sin. Like this is this is big life altering sins, right? Like I don't know what your past looks like. I don't know what you walked in here 
uh, with today. I, I, I don't know intricately every single one of your guys' past. I don't know what sins you've dealt with. Uh, I was reading a story today about the Yali tribe out in Papua New Guinea. Now, this was a tribe of cannibals uh, who lived out in the mountains of Papua New Guinea, uh, and missionaries would go out there, and they would try to uh, uh, reach them for the gospel, and they would kill the missionaries, and they would eat them. And 60 years later, finally, this tribe comes to know Jesus Christ. They experience the grace of God, and, and the whole tribe is, is just transformed in the image of Christ. Now, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say, uh, the majority of us have never murdered somebody and cooked them up and eaten them. <laughs> right? Like, I don't know what you got in your past, but that's up there, right? God forgives all sin, big, life-altering sins. There is no sin that can outmatch the grace of God. But it's not just those big sins. I think for most of us, it's those small, everyday sins that get us, right? That, that, that nagging, repetitive sin. And it's just like, I've done this again for the billionth time. Surely the grace of God is drying up on me, right? Surely I, I, I've, I've, I've drained this well. But you haven't. The grace of God covers it. It's unfathomable, I know, but that's the character of your God. Would you want anything less than a God who's willing time and time and time and time again to just forgive you of your sin? See, this woman understands all of this and it leads her to an authentic love for Jesus. All she wants and desires is just sit at his presence in the presence of God Almighty and clean the dirt off of his feet. Guys, that's authentic love that flows from the grace of God. That is authentic love that flows from the grace of God. So in grace, we can come to Jesus. In grace, we can love him authentically. And lastly, point number three, in grace, we can worship Jesus freely. Amen. In grace, we can worship Jesus freely. Look back at verse 44. And turning toward the woman, Jesus says to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. See, Simon didn't understand his need for Jesus. This woman did. She understood her need for Jesus and so she came to him and loved him authentically and that love led to a free outward life of worship where she's serving Jesus and she's honoring Jesus and she's sacrificing everything for Jesus. She shows us that a true life of worship is one that serves Jesus. A true life of worship is one that serves Jesus. She had no water to clean his feet, but she had tears. She had no rag to wipe his feet, 
but she had hair. She's a beautiful picture of what it looks like to worship Jesus by serving him with all that you have. See, the grace of God does something in our hearts. It creates worship, and that worship is outwardly expressed in in serving Jesus. See, those of us who have experienced this amazing, saving grace of Jesus can't help but serve him with our time and with our talents and with our treasure. This church, you guys, I just want to put you on blast here for a minute you guys are an amazing picture of what that looks like, what it looks like to serve him with your time and with your talents and with your treasure. Do you know it takes more than 100 volunteers to make a Sunday happen? It takes more than 100 volunteers to make a Sunday happen. That's both services. Uh, but that's just Sunday, right? Like that's not service throughout the week. That's not all the things that we do uh, throughout the week. That's just Sunday, 100 volunteers. And yet we make it happen every single week because you guys are faithfully serving out of an overflow of your worship of Jesus. And, and so you guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. Great job. You're making it easier for people to know Jesus And that's what happens when the grace of God just kind of gets inside us and works our way, or works its way out, right? We start serving him. We've been able to support our recenter and uh, the team that's on the front lines of community service. We've We've been able to support them every single year because you guys are faithfully willing to give of your financial resources to make that happen. That doesn't happen without men and women who are filled with the grace of God, willing to pour out financial resources to their king. So a life of worship is one that serves Jesus. It's also a life that honors Jesus. So Simon fails to greet Jesus with a kiss when he enters the house, and in doing so, he fails to honor Jesus. But this woman, on the other hand, didn't stop kissing Jesus' feet the entire time that she was there. When we recognize our need for the grace of God that is found in Jesus, it will result in a life of worship that honors him. See, those of us who have been pulled up out of the gutter aren't trying to crawl back in. No, that person recognizes God's grace and says with the psalmist, he pulled me up out of the muck and the mire and set my feet on the rock. I, I, I got a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to my God. See, when we experience this saving grace, we have no desire to live lives that dishonor him. I, I just love what Titus 2.11 says. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, a life of worship is a life that honors Jesus by pursuing godliness. Life of worship is one that serves Jesus, is one that honors Jesus. And finally, a life of worship is one that sacrifices for Jesus. Jesus tells Simon, you didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. See, this woman sacrificed everything for Jesus. 
She sacrificed her reputation and broke into a Pharisee's house. She sacrificed her pride and poured out her tears to Jesus. She, she sacrificed her livelihood and poured out her expensive flask at the feet of her God. Why? Because grace is worth everything. Those who are willing to sacrifice their reputation, their pride, their finances, their possessions, and even their lives for Jesus are those who understand that grace is priceless. They sacrifice what they have to give because they know that nothing can come close to the salvation that is offered in Christ Jesus. He is worth everything. And when we understand grace, we will live lives of sacrifice and worship to our King. Jesus turns to the woman and he ends with this in verse 48. He says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the grace of God. You are forgiven. You are saved. Peace is yours. This is the ultimate reward, God's free gift. And he requires nothing of you but to simply come to him, love him, and worship him. Amen? We're gonna have an opportunity to do just that here in just a minute. So we wanna encourage you to stick around for the special ending to this service. If you need prayer, we're going to have people underneath these two screens who would love to pray with you, right? Like if, you, if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I need to come to Jesus. I need to experience that grace. These guys would love to walk you through that. So take advantage of that opportunity. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for your grace, for your mercy for your forgiveness. And God, as we leave this place, um, I just pray that you'd remind us of that truth here this morning.